For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. In today's teaching, we start part two of a three-part series on John chapter 17. Now let's join Pastor Jim with a message entitled, Jesus Prays for His Disciples. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to the sanctuary for tonight's Bible study. And if you do have your Bibles, please bust it open to John's Gospel chapter 17. And while you're doing that, I will pray and ask God's blessing on our time. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Your word is spirit, your word is life. It's like a a sharp, double-edged sword. It's able to get down deep, dividing soul and spirit. It's profitable for us, correcting, teaching, rebuking, training us in righteousness so that we can be thoroughly equipped for all the good works that you have for us. And so tonight, Father, we pray, we pray that you would take your powerful word, Holy Spirit, God-breathed word, and my simple message, and make a difference in our lives tonight. Make us more like your son, because it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen? Amen. All right, so we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer here in John chapter 17, and remember, It's the eve of Jesus' death. Tomorrow, he will be hanging on a cross. And so the eve of his death, and they've just had a final meal together. We call it the Last Supper, where Jesus gave some words of encouragement and some words of exhortation. We find that in John chapters 13 through 16. And as they left the upper room there after that meal and after those words of encouragement and exhortation, they started walking towards the Mount of Olives, started walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And as they're walking there, Jesus stops and he wants to commit everything to God in prayer. And that's where we're at, John chapter 17, Jesus' prayer. Now in verses one through five, Jesus prays for himself. In verses six through 19, Jesus prays for the 11 disciples who are there with him. And then in verses 20 through 26, Jesus is gonna pray for you and for me. Now last week we looked at Jesus' prayer for himself. And remember, if you really wanna get to know someone, you should pray pray with them. Because as you listen to them pray, you discover that which is important to them, that which is on their heart, what's on their mind, their desires, their struggles, their passions. And so as we listened to Jesus pray, we discovered what was important to him. And so what was important to Jesus last week? What did he pray for? He prayed to be glorified, that all of his wow factors, my definition, that all of his wow factors would be pointed out and acknowledged. And there were three reasons that Jesus wanted to be glorified. Reason number one is because every time he receives glory, God the Father receives glory. Reason number two, when he is glorified, that brings eternal life to you and to me. And then the third reason he wanted to be glorified is because the glory rightfully belongs to him. He is 
God. Now, we learned that Jesus would be glorified through the cross. That's how his glory would come. All of his glory would be put on display, the wow factors of his grace and mercy and, and love, all of that stuff. And so what was ultimately important to Jesus? The cross. And so if it's important to Jesus, it should be important to us. So we were to be a cross-focused people. Now tonight, we're gonna zoom in on Jesus' prayer for his 11 disciples. And once again, we're gonna see that which is of great significance to Jesus. And if it's significant to him, it's significant to you and to me. So John chapter 17, verses six through 19. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world, Jesus speaking to God the Father. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. By the way, that's a deity verse. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them through the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly Sanctified, wow, wow. So here Jesus shifts his prayer focus from himself to the 11 guys uh, standing there with them. And he's got some things to say about them. He's got some things to say about them to God the Father. Have you ever wondered what God would say about you, what God thinks about you? Have you ever wondered what God the Son has to say to God the Father about you? I thought about this a little bit, and I was thinking, man, I don't even like myself half the time, let alone what in the world does the perfect God think about me? And so I imagine, you know, these guys perhaps were a little bit nervous as Jesus began to speak about them, totally aware of their failures totally aware of their letdowns and their shortcomings. What's he gonna say about us? What is he gonna say to God the Father about us? Is he gonna tell the Father who he thinks the betrayer is? Because you remember there at the Last Supper, they're all sitting around the table and they're wondering if they're the one that's going to betray him. Perhaps Peter, I imagine him, 
sitting there listening to Jesus pray, wondering, is he going to bring up my failure on the Sea of Galilee? Is he going to mention that time where I was walking on the water and I took my eyes off of him and I focused on everything else around me and I began to sink? Is he going to talk about that? Is he going to bring up that weird comment that I made at the top of Mount Carmel when the glory of his divinity was shining through the veil of his humanity and then I just spoke without even thinking and said, you want me to build you three tents, Lord? Is he going to bring that up? Or is he going to bring up that time at Caesarea Philippi where my mouth was commandeered by the devil and Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. I imagine James and John wondering, you know, is, is he going to bring up that time where we asked to call down fireballs from heaven to destroy that Samaritan village? Or is he going to bring up all of those times where we prevented the mothers from bringing their kids to him so that they could receive prayer and a blessing? What's he going to say? And so perhaps they're feeling a little bit insecure. But what I like about the opening verses of Jesus' prayer is that he doesn't bring up any of their faults before the Father. And there's a lot of faults. There's a lot of negative in their life from their three and a half years with Jesus Christ. He only compliments them. And he gives them six compliments. He only brings up the good. You see, Satan... That wicked, evil spirit, he is the one who points out all of our failures. He is the one who points out all of our shortcomings. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10 calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. He's the one who stands before God and says, look at Jim, look at that loser, look at what he does. Look at how he fails you. Look at how he falls short. That's the work of Satan. You know, I was t speaking with a friend the other day, and uh, he was telling me about a tough season that he was going through in life, feeling like a failure, feeling like he let God down, and he was verbalizing this to another person, saying, man, I don't even feel like God loves me anymore. I'm such a loser. And right as he said that, right as he spoke that, he looks down on the ground, and he finds a magnet. Right as he said that, he picks up the magnet, and the magnet says, God loves you, and he can't take his eyes off of you. Amazing. You see, Jesus, because of the cross, because of what he was going to do for these guys, and because of what he has done for us on the cross, he has made us without blemish, and free from accusation before the throne of God. Because of his shed blood and the righteousness that he gives to us, when we stand before God, God doesn't have anything negative to say about us. That doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't convict us and correct us down here, but up there, before the throne of God, he only compliments us. Now, we all like compliments, amen? We all love a good compliment. My kids love it when I compliment them on their good grades, not only with my words, but also with my pocketbook. My wife loves it when I compliment her on her hair. And by the way, honey, your makeup looks beautiful tonight. 
And I also love it when my wife compliments me after a good workout, you know, when she says, man, you're looking pretty buff, Jim. So to receive a compliment, to receive a compliment from a person, man, that's great. But to receive a compliment from Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, that's a wow. And these guys here, they get six compliments from Jesus. So what does he compliment them on? What stands out to Jesus Christ in our lives? Is it the size of our 401k? Is it our talents? Is it our abilities? Is it our personalities? Nope, it's none of that. What stands out to Jesus Christ is our faith. Verse six, he says to the father, they have obeyed your word. Verse seven, they know all I have comes from you. Verse eight, they have accepted your word. Verse eight, they knew that I came from you. Verse eight, they believed that you sent me. Verse 10, and they brought glory to me. And so Jesus points out they know who I am, they believe what I say, and they're living for me. It's our faith that stands out to Jesus Christ. Christ. That's what he looks at, and that's what he goes wow about, and that's what he talks to God the Father about. When he looks at your life and when he thinks about you, he's thinking about your faith. He's thinking about your faith. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he would write to churches or when he would write to individuals in the New Testament, he always pointed out their faith. In the book of Colossians chapter one, he had never been there, but he says to them, hey, I've heard about your faith. I've heard about your faith. In 1 Thessalonians, he says to them, hey, your faith is known everywhere. Everyone is hearing about your faith. In 2 Thessalonians chapter one, he says to them, hey, we're bragging to everybody about your faith. And then in Philemon chapter one, Paul writes to that guy and says, hey bro, I've heard about your faith. It's our faith that stands out to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, Father, look at this. Look at these Christians. They're believing you. They're trusting you even when it doesn't make any sense. They're believing you even though everyone around them is scoffing. They're being faithful to you day after day, even though they've never seen you. They're obeying your word. They're obeying my word, even though they've never heard me audibly. You see, our faith is what stands out to Jesus. And so, growing in our faith should be a major priority in our lives. Now, in verse 11, after Jesus gets done complimenting these guys, he says, Father, I'm leaving the world. I'm leaving this world and I'm returning to you. I'm returning to my rightful place at the right hand of God. I'm returning to the place of my glory. But they're staying behind. They're staying behind. These 11 guys, they're staying here. I'm going up, but they're staying here. And so, Father, I want to pray for them. Father, I want to pray for them. Now, a lot can go wrong when the head of the house or the leader leaves. A lot can go wrong. And I know this from firsthand experience. 
I leave a few times every year uh, because of uh, being here at the church, working at the church, and without fail, every single time, something always goes wrong back at home. So we went to the pastor's retreat a few years back to Hume Lake, a wonderful time with the guys getting in the word, connecting with one another, enjoying all of the extracurricular activities. But back at home, things weren't well. My oldest son decided he was gonna do some acrobatic uh, maneuvers in the house, some Superman style stuff. And so he's jumping off of, what was he jumping off of? The stairs, jumping off the stairs onto the couch and he didn't make it, he ended up breaking his foot. And so stuff, almost always goes wrong when the head of the house leaves. I went to India a couple years back, you know, to go preach the gospel and to go minister to those who don't know the Lord. And uh, I left my, my middle son with a pocket knife, a brand new pocket knife. My wife tells me that he decided he was gonna climb the tree in our backyard and he climbs up the tree and he's got the pocket knife out. I don't know what in the world he's thinking. So who knows how high up in the tree he is. He's got the pocket knife and he's up there cutting the tree and he nearly slices his finger off. You see, things go wrong when the head of the house and when the leader leaves. I went on the young adults winter retreat back in 2014, so two years ago now. Took a whole bunch of young adults up to South Lake Tahoe. We're having a great time studying the word, worshiping the king, connecting with one another. And I get a phone call about 8.30 in the morning from my lovely wife. And I'm just wondering, what in the world is Beth calling me for at 8.30? She should be taking the kids to school right now. And she says, hey, honey. And I say, what's up? How you doing? You know, and she says, well, I'm stuck here on Fountain Grove, and the car is filled with white smoke, and there's a green liquid that's hot and burning my skin right now. What should I do? <laughs> So she broke down in Fountain Grove while I'm on a, a retreat in South Lake Tahoe. Things always seem to go wrong when the head of the house or when the leader leaves. And so uh, from, from here on out, I've decided that every event that I go to, my family comes with me. Amen? <laughs> so Jesus is their leader, right? And he's going. He's going away. He's returning to God the Father. And he knows they're staying behind in this dark and sinful world, and so he's gonna pray for their protection. Check it out, verse 11. He says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them. Holy Father, protect them. Now, we all like to feel safe and, and to feel protected, right? That's why we have alarms. That's why we have locks. That's why we have passcodes. Some of you probably carry mace. Maybe some of you have a taser or guard dogs. I mean, it's important to us. We value that. And it's important to God. He is the protector of our souls. I mean, we do live in a broken, fallen, and sinful world. Now, the word protect in the Greek is te reo, and it means to keep, to stand guard, to watch over so as to prevent loss. You know, I was in the military in basic training. One of the things that we had to do every single night, we had to take turns. Someone had to stand guard. Someone had to watch over those who were sleeping, preparing us for battle, preparing us for when we would go into a hostile territory. Someone always had to be watching over those who were sleeping. And so Jesus says, he, he says to the Father, he asks the Father to stand guard over our souls and to stand guard over our lives so as to prevent loss. Now, 
This protection that Jesus prays for comes to us through two means. It comes to us in two ways, this protection. First, his protection comes to us through the power of his name. It comes to us through the power of his name. Verse 11, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. And so Jesus is praying, keep them, protect them, keep them connected to me and keep them connected to one another. For three and a half years, those 11 disciples, they stayed with Jesus and they stayed together. And Jesus is saying essentially, let that not change ever by the power of your name. Let that not change ever by the power of your name. Now in Hebrew thought, a name wasn't given arbitrarily. It represented who you were, who you are. And so you think about Abraham, what does his name mean? Father of many nations. It wasn't just a name. It represented who he was and what he was about. And he truly was the father of many nations. We have Jacob, not such a good name, supplanter, deceiver. And he's a guy who really lived up to his name. I mean, he stole his brother's birthright. And so it wasn't just a name. It represented who he was, and that's why he had to get a new name, because he gave his life to the Lord. Now, what name did the Father give to the Son? Because Jesus says, the name that you gave me. What name did the Father give to the second person of the Godhead, to the second person of the Holy Trinity when he left heaven stepped into a virgin's womb, clothed himself in our humanity, and was born. What name was given to him? That's right, Matthew chapter one. The angel Gabriel shows up to Joseph and says, give him the name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. You see, Jesus, that just wasn't his name. It represented who he was and what he was about. Jesus, meaning Jehovah is salvation. And Jesus definitely was, a one, was one who lived up to his name. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So his prayer of protection, ultimately what Jesus is praying for, his prayer of protection, which comes to the power of his name, guarantees, his prayer of protection guarantees our connection to him for life. His prayer of protection guarantees our connection to him for life. Let me tell you what I mean. His protection is for our, uh, it's a protection over our souls from ever being judged for our sins because he is the one who saves us from our sins. That's what his name means, right? Name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. It's a protection from us, from our salvation ever being lost. Why? Because Jesus is our salvation. Jehovah, Jesus is our salvation. 
And so Jesus, his prayer of protection is guaranteeing our connection to him for life. It's guaranteeing our connection to him for life. And he really lives up to that name. He says, Father, protect them, stand guard over them, watch over them, keep their salvation so as to prevent loss. Keep them connected to me for life. He's praying for eternal security for the person who puts their trust in Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter one and verse six says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Whenever I meet someone who says that you can lose your salvation, that you can lose your connection to him, to me what they're saying is that Jesus doesn't live up to his name. That Jesus doesn't live up to the name of he's the one who saves me from my sins. That he is my salvation. They're saying that he doesn't live up to his name. And what I say to them is, if I could, if any of us were responsible for keeping our connection to him, for keeping our salvation and protecting our own salvation, then not a single one of us would ever make it to heaven. But we don't have to watch over and guard and protect our own salvation. He's the one who does it. And that's what Jesus Christ is praying for. And the context agrees. He says, while I was with them, I protected them and I kept them safe. You see, all of the apostles, except for Judas, he never really was a disciple, right? Jesus himself said that. He calls him the son of destruction. Earlier, he says, I have chosen these except for him because he has a devil, Judas never really was a true believer. And so all of the apostles, except for Judas, they trusted in Jesus for those three and a half years. And they trusted in Jesus all the way till the end, all the way till the day of their death. Why? Because Jesus Christ prayed it, that the Father would keep them, that the Father would watch over them so as to prevent loss. All of these guys experienced martyrdom except for the apostle John. They all experienced horrific deaths, yet they never stopped believing in him. They made it safely to heaven. Why? Because God the Father was watching over them. Jesus, his prayer of protection guarantees our connection to him for life. And so he prays that and he prays uh, for them to be connected to him and also for us to be connected to one another. For 2,000 years, ever since Jesus went to heaven, Christians have continued without fail to meet together and to lift up the name of Jesus. Christianity didn't stop when Jesus went up. Through the persecution, through the dark ages, even down to today, even tonight, why are you gathered here? What brings us together? What's connecting us? We have people from many different generations, different upbringings, different cultural backgrounds, socioeconomic status. What is bringing us together tonight? It's the name. 
It's the power of the name of Jesus. It's who he is and what he has done for us, that wonderful, precious, powerful name of Jesus. That's what unites us. That's what gives us our connection. That's what gives us the unity that we have in the church today. And we'll talk a lot more about that next week. I just love that name of Jesus. The name of Jesus, that wonderful, precious name, calling upon his name, guaranteeing my salvation, guaranteeing my connection to him for life and for eternity. I also love his name because it's a name I can call upon in my daily life. I could call upon him for help. I can call upon him uh, to minister to me in my time of need. I remember a few years back, I went with a friend and we went to a big event in San Francisco. We went down there to share the gospel and to share the love of Jesus Christ. And as we went down there, we, we decided to pray, to pray that God would use us, to pray that God would minister through us. And we also prayed for his safety and for his protection. And so we get down there to San Francisco and there's thousands upon thousands and thousands of thousands of people everywhere. And we start to do our thing. We start to hand out literature and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to tell multitudes about him. And we got a crowd around us, a big crowd of people. And they were extremely hostile. They began to spit at us. They began to cuss at us. They began to rip up our literature. They began to throw bottles at us. It was getting pretty dangerous. And then out of nowhere, a police officer comes up to us. And he says to me, you guys are in danger here. But I respect your free speech rights. And so what we're going to do is we're gonna provide a security detail around you. And so we had six police officers surround us while this crowd of people is standing there listening to us share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I love calling upon his name in my time of need because he answers our prayers. The name of Jesus, a name you could call upon today for whatever your problems are, for whatever your, your issues are. You need help financially, situational, uh, relational. Jesus is the name to call upon. First Peter chapter five and verse seven says, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. I care about what's going on in your life today. That's what the Lord says. It doesn't matter how small it is. It's not too small for him. And it doesn't matter how big your problem is. It's not too big for him. He cares. Struggling with temptation, struggling with sin, call upon the name of Jesus. He's able to help us. He's able to save us completely. He provides a way of escape in the midst of our temptation. You call upon his name. Lord, I'm struggling with this sin. I'm struggling with this temptation and I can't do it. Help me, Jesus. Man, he loves that prayer and he will come through for you. Struggling with despair, struggling with loneliness. You call upon the name of Jesus and he will show up. He is the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our afflictions. He's there for you. That's the kind of God Jesus is. 
Now in verse 13, Jesus says there's a lot of joy in knowing these truths. He says, I say this so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have a lot of joy in my life knowing that my salvation is being watched over, is being kept, is being protected so as to prevent loss by God the Father because Jesus Christ prayed it. I know I'm going to heaven because Jesus lives up to his name. It's not dependent upon me. It's who he is. He is Jehovah, my salvation. I know that, and I have a lot of joy. And no matter what happens in life, man, I'm going to heaven. Man, and then the joy of knowing that I have a God in heaven who cares about me and who's interested in my life, and I can call upon him with everything that's going on, and he will respond, and he will answer, and he will help, and he will meet me. You know, tonight, if you're here, and you've never connected with Jesus, you're missing the greatest joy that life has to offer. The greatest joy in life is knowing Jesus Christ. It's being in relationship with him. If you haven't connected with Jesus, you're missing that wonderful assurance of knowing what's gonna happen to you when you die. And so tonight, if that's you, I would encourage you, make that connection with Jesus. Call upon his name. He will save your soul. He'll forgive your sins, give you the gift of everlasting life, and he will watch over you. You will make it to heaven. And tonight, believers, whatever you're going through, just a reminder, bring it to Jesus. Call upon the name of Jesus and allow him to minister to you in your time of need. So Jesus' prayer of protection. First, it comes to us through the power of his name, that protection. And secondly, it comes through the power of his word. So the protection comes through the power of his name, and then secondly, through the power of his word. In verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, Father, they've got enemies. They've got enemies. It's the world. It's, it's the, the non-believers who inhabit planet Earth, who hate them to varying degrees because of what we stand for. And it's the devil, that wicked, rebellious evil spirit who rules this world, the prince of the power of the air. Father, they've got enemies. And so, Father, verse 14, I've given them your word. I have given them your word. You see, the word of God, the Holy Bible, the scriptures, the sword of the spirit, it is a source of protection for our lives. And it protects us in two ways. It protects us in two ways. First, the word of God protects us by teaching us that we're not of this world. The word of God protects us by teaching us that we are not of this world. Verse 14, Jesus says, they're not of the world. And then in verse 16, Jesus says, they're not of the world. So the word of God protects us by teaching us that we're not of this world. This past weekend, I did my first ever disc golf tournament. I was really excited about it. I was hoping to win, but I lost. I, I, I really sucked comparing to the other guys. Um, anyways, I got there, and it wasn't what I expected. 
It was not what I expected. I felt like I was at, a, a, I was at Woodstock. Everybody there was, was doing drugs. Everybody there, the only vocabulary words that they knew had four letters to them. And I just was wondering, what, what is going on here? Where am I? Why do I feel so different? Why do I feel like I don't belong here? And then I realized, it's because I am not of this world. Everybody on the course, they were totally comfortable with everything that was going on. Why? Because it's part of the world to which they belong. But me, I'm not of this world. And that's why I wasn't fitting in. Now, by the way, I believe that uh, NOTW, not of this world, is the sweetest acronym on the face of the planet. You've probably seen it on bumper stickers, NOTW. And there are some pretty cool acronyms out there. For example, math, mental abuse towards humans. My kid would agree with that. <laughs> Made, mom actually in disguise. Like that one. Some spiritual ones. Gap, God answers prayer. And then Bible, behold, I bring life everlasting. And so there's some pretty cool acronyms out there, but the coolest of them all is N-O-T-W, not of this world. Now, have you guys seen the movie Elf? It's a really cool Christmas movie. It's, it's clean. It's a story of, a, of an orphan. Santa Claus shows up to the orphanage, and this kid climbs out of his crib, and he, and he climbs into Santa's sack. And Santa goes back to the North Pole, and the kid comes out of the sack, and uh, Santa decides to keep him. And so he gets adopted by one of the elves, and he's essentially raised by an elf. Now, by the time he grows up, they never told him that he wasn't an elf. They never told him he's a human. And so he's growing up, and he, he, he grows up to be like six foot three, six foot four, 220, 240 pounds. So he's, he's huge. He didn't really belong to that world, but nobody told him that. If they had told him that from the very beginning, it would have prevented a lot of hardship for him, trying to sleep on that little elf bed, <laughs> trying to use the little elf bathroom. I mean, if he would have just known, buddy, you're not of this world, man, it would have prevented him a lot of hardship. Now, God has told us from the very beginning that you and I, that we're not of this world. We find that in the Bible. We're not of this world. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to stand out. You see, if we didn't have this knowledge that we're not of this world, we might try to assimilate. We might try to become like the world in an effort to reach them. I might have been out on the disc golf course partaking with them because I wanted to reach them. But the way to reach the world is not to become like them, it's to become like him. It's to become like Jesus. And so we're not to assimilate because we're not of this world. We're not to conform to the thinking of this world. Everything is relative to the philosophies of this world, to the morals of this world, that you can do whatever you want whatever feels good to you, whatever feels right to you, it doesn't really matter. 
We're not to give in to the spirit of the age. We're to give in to the spirit of Jesus Christ because we're not of this world. We belong to another world, to the heavenly world, to God's world, to God's kingdom. And we avoid a lot of trouble and we prevent a lot of disaster in our own lives and to the name of Jesus by knowing this and by realizing this. And we discover it through study of his word. So we're protected through the power of his word, first of all, because it teaches us that we're not of this world. And then secondly, uh, the, the Bible teaches us how to live for the world to which we truly belong. And so first, it teaches us that we're not of this world. And then secondly, it teaches us how to live for the world to which we truly belong. God doesn't want us to assimilate. He doesn't want us to become like the world, but also he doesn't want us to isolate ourselves from the world. He doesn't want us, you know, back in the old days, Christians, they used to run away to caves, run away to monasteries, you know, because they're not of this world, and so they wanted to separate themselves from the world, have nothing to do with that, but God's just scratching his head because he sent them to reach the world. But how in the world is he gonna reach the world if they aren't in the world, around people of the world? You know, even today, we tend to isolate ourselves. We only surround ourselves with Christians, and that's a good thing, don't get me wrong. It's good to surround yourselves with Christians. We only go to church. We don't have any non-Christians in our lives, and so we isolate ourselves. But God wants us to reach the world. And so he uses the Bible. He uses the Bible to teach us how to live for his world all the while living in the world to which we don't belong. And this happens through the truth. It happens through the word of God. Verse 17, Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. That word sanctify means to set apart, to live for the Lord, to live for his kingdom, to serve him and to reach the world around us. And Jesus says that that happens through the word of God. You see, through the word of God, we learn how to love our spouses. Through the word of God, we learn how to raise our kids. Through the word of God, we learn how to have a godly work ethic. Through the word of God, we learn how to treat strangers and we learn how to treat our enemies. Through the word of God, we are sanctified. We are set apart for the king. You see, the truth teaches us how to live for his world all the while while living in this world. And as we get in the word, as we get in the truth, we begin to change. And God begins to transform us. And we begin to stand out. And people around us begin to take notice and they begin to wonder, what's up with this guy? What's up with this gal? Why are they so different? And they begin to ask questions and they're drawn to the Savior. Sanctify them through the truth. Your word is truth. Now, I've done some traveling. I've been to the United Arab Emirates. I've been to Israel and I've been to India. And I want to just make this statement. Nobody does food like America. 
Nobody does food like America. I love my native country's food. So good. Over in Israel, they would feed you fish for breakfast or pasta, and I just scratched my head at that. In India, oh my goodness, I'm gonna tell you guys a story. So going to India, my first time going to India, I was warned over and over again about two things. Don't drink the water at all that comes from the tap. Don't drink it, you'll get poisoned. And number two, don't eat any fruit or vegetables that don't have a peel on them because it's contaminated and your body is not used to those microbes. And so over and over and over again, as I'm preparing to go to India for the first time, I'm, I'm told about these things. And so I'm like, all right, I got this. I'm gonna be fine, right? And so we go over to India and it's myself and Pastor Ross and, and, and we arrive and, and it's late at night. We're in Calcutta, which is uh, a really big city. It looks like a bomb went off. That's the way Pastor Ross describes it. It looks like a bomb went off and everyone's trying to survive. And so we show up at this apartment and it's late and uh, the pastor takes us into, it's his home. And he says, all right, I'm gonna leave you here, Pastor Jim. And I'm gonna take Pastor Ross and I'm gonna show him something. And I'm like, okay. I mean, we just got there and it's like two minutes into walking into his house, I'm being left alone. He says, oh, don't worry, you'll be fine. My maid is here, my servant is here and uh, she'll take care of you. And I'm like, okay, no problem. And so I sit down on the couch. Now what he didn't tell me is that she was uh, mute and she was deaf. And so there was no way we could really communicate. And so I sat down on the couch. There's not, there's, it's dead quiet. You can hear a pin drop. I'm just sitting there and she's standing over me, right? And she can't talk. She's just, she, she, she does this. Mm, mm, mm. And I said, hi, it's nice to meet you. I'm Jim, you know, how's it going? Mm. She makes some hand gestures. I have no idea what she's trying to communicate to me. And then she walks into the kitchen and I'm just sitting on the couch staring at the wall, you know, oh man, this really sucks. Where's Pastor Ross at? And I hear, I hear the faucet turn on and I hear a cup go under the faucet and the cup starting to fill up. And all of a sudden I start to have an anxiety attack because everything that's going through my head is all of the times that people said, don't drink the water. Don't drink the water, you'll die. Don't drink the water. Your body's not used to the microbes over there. She comes back into the living room and she sets the cup down. She looks at me and she scoots it. No, no thank you. And then when you do this, it means yes over there. So I'm like, no. She's like, yes, no, mm, yes. Somehow I managed to escape that situation without drinking the water. Then we go down to southern India, and we're staying with a pastor. This is going somewhere, by the way, I think. I think it is. And I was so hungry. He made us, I can't even remember what it was, but it was good, and I really liked it. And towards the end of the bowl, it was like a bowl of soup or a bowl of chili or something like that, I realized that there were big chunks of corn in it big chunks of corn and every, and then all of those comments that the people told me, don't eat any of the vegetables unless it has like a peel on it because you will get sick. 
I ate the whole bowl of food. And then for the next week and a half, I was sick as a dog. Sick as a dog. Man, I love the food from my native country. <laughs> I love American food. Now, I'm telling you this because food and drink are used in the Bible as metaphors. Metaphors for teaching, the truth, the word of God, the holy scriptures. They are our native home country's food, like the food of America. And so the Bible is called milk and it's called meat. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, it's called the milk of his word. And then in Hebrews chapter 5, it's called the meat of his word. And as you feast and you drink upon your native country's food and drink, man, you grow and you're made healthy and you're made strong. But then the teaching of the world, it's called leaven in the scriptures, the false religious teaching, and it's poisonous and it'll make you sick and it'll kill your walk with God. And so we are to feast on our home country's food, which is the word of the living God. 12 years ago, you wouldn't have recognized me. You would not have recognized me at all. I had spent my whole life feasting upon the food from this world, and I was sick, and I was dead, and I had no walk with God whatsoever. And then I sat down with a pastor, Pastor David Leppard, and he grabbed a Bible and he flopped it on the table and he scooted it over toward me and he opens it up to the table of contents and he circles five books in the Bible and he says, kid, I want you to read these books. I want you to read the word of God. And after you read these books, I want you to read the whole Bible and I want you to continue to do this for the rest of your life because this is what's going to make the difference for you. This book is gonna teach you how to live for him, for his world, all the while while living in this wicked, dark, and sinful world. And I took his advice and man, the word of God, it's true. It transforms your life. It transforms who you are, and makes you live for him in this dark world. And so tonight, Jesus prays a prayer of protection. And his prayer of protection comes through two means, through the power of his name, a protection of our soul, a protection of our salvation. And then it comes through the power of his word, his word teaching us that we're not of this world and teaching us how to live for the world to which we truly belong. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your word and just how powerful it is. And I just pray that you would write the truths found in John chapter 17, verses 6 through 19, that you would write these truths on our hearts. Help us to meditate on them. Father, we love you. We thank you. And now we end our service tonight by giving you praise and glory because it's in the name of Jesus that we ask it. Amen. All right, let's stand and worship the Lord together. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. 
Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.